Dotnet Rocks, episode 1050, with guest Miguel Castro. Recorded Tuesday, October 14th, 2014. Well, what do you know, Richard? Yeah, I know this and that. I know a few things. Here and there. I know Miguel's here. He, ah, he's excited. That's always good. We'll talk to him in a minute. And uh, what's going on? Brandon came home, you know? Brandon for, Wen. For good or for just a while? Well, I don't know if you know this. Brandon Wen, who uh, announces Run As Radio, he yep. also is one of the editors at Pop on .NET Rocks. And yep. he's been doing his job from South America for the last year. Wow. Yeah, just sort of going down to the coffee shop, putting on his headphones and editing the show. And he's back. He came back and completely cleaned and organized the studio. <laughs> and dude, when I say completely, I mean completely. <laughs> every inch of it. Every inch of it. That's like, hilarious. There, was so, there were rooms that were just piles of stuff. Some from the 90s, you know. A lot right. of stuff went out. And then now we're having a studio tag sale. Oh, yeah? Well, you still have a lot of the gear from when you were a training company. Yeah. 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 And, you know, just various doodads and chicken McChicks and gadgets <laughs> and do Who's ho- it's and what's it's? Do hockeys and what's it's. Fiddle stobbers. So, Brandon, thank you very much for uh, for cleaning the studio. That's uh... Oh, we're actually recording a show. You want to come say hi? <laughs> 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 yeah, say hi to Richard. Hey, Richard. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm fantastic. How you doing? Oh, uh, you know, ever since I gave up hope, I felt a lot better. It makes everything simpler. It's so simple. <laughs> <laughs> so on behalf of, you know, all the fans, thank you for organizing the studio so that we could continue to do this show. I love what you guys do. Well, we love what you do, man. I love working here. All right. Talk to you guys soon. You bet. So that's the story about Brandon. Uh, let's roll the Better Know Framework theme music and okay. get this show off to a good start. All right. So what do you know? Not much. You. Nice. <laughs> uh, so you had pasted a link to Ghostery for yep. me. And Ghostery is something that deletes your cookies or something it it no it lets you know who's tracking you this is a conversation i've been having for a while with scott hanselman yeah and because you know now these days when you click on a link those links go through like a dozen pages yeah right and it's all people planting cookies on you to track you of course so ghostery is this organization that uh just it's a plug-in for firefox or or chrome, chrome or any uh, any other browser that lets you, lets you know which one which of the various ad networks are tracking you via that page and then if you want you can actually shut them off so it'll right. automatically delete those cookies and it's not without controversy either oh no there's a stink around it without a doubt because they don't charge now they're very upfront about how they how they actually make money they ask you to opt in and it's it's anonymous opt-in, right? All they really want is what page you went to and what tracker showed up on that page. So they yeah. can see who's where on can, the internet. So they can track you, basically. Right. Well, they they want to know, track the ad trackers. That's They want to track the trackers. Right. And there's quite a purse fight going on on their wiki, media, their wiki page right now. Right. And the Wikipedia page. Like, if you just watch the stream of edits. Oh, yeah. I think there's some ad agencies that aren't real happy with Ghostery. And so they right. keep making them out to be the bad guy. And then they, other folks edit it back again. And it happens again. And it goes back and forth. I could, I imagine this, this thing's going to get locked at some but point. But this ghost 
uh, ghost rank opt-in feature, um, you use that to support them. Like it, you, you are basically being tracked by them. Well, they, no, nobody track, else, they, but what just they do them. Is they're aggregating your data with everyone else's to figure out what web pages have what trackers on it. Right. And right? in That's the meantime, but in the meantime, they're tracking you. Well, except and for the part where they don't know who you are. And yeah. Well, so they say. Yeah. So either they're lying to you, and if they're lying to you, why are you using it at all? Right. Or you read what they're saying here and say, hey, they're trying to figure out where the trackers are, and so, you can help them. So that's at ghostry.com. But that's not actually my Better Know Framework. My Better Know Framework is Tor Project. And this is torproject.org. And this is an app that you run, and they have their own browser that has a network that truly anonymizes your internet traffic. Yeah, apparently this is really popular with ISIS. Apparently, yeah, yeah, it's popular with anybody who wants to do sort of untrackable stuff. So if you're really serious about, you know, your privacy, whatever that means to you, this is a solution. Yeah, it's challenging. To I don't know if you've ever used Tor. It is tough I to use. No, I haven't. In fact, I downloaded it and then they said, use our browser if you really want. And I'm like, nah, yeah. I don't think so. It's, 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 you know, and well, an anonymity is a myth, right? Yeah. It, and what it really does is it shuffles data. It bounces your packets around. Yeah, it does a redirect. It destroys cookies, which means sites don't work. Like, it's, it's yeah. really challenging to use this thing. Right, right. Well, anyway, I thought I would throw both of those things out there just because, you know, we're living in an NSA world. Right, and we're just trying to understand what's going on around us. Just what I appreciate about Ghostery is going to a web page and a little iframe would pop up and just go, you're being tracked by Google Analytics and mm -hmm. double click. And like the, some pages I went to, 50 trackers. Oh my gosh. Like just astonishing. Right. So if you're an ASP.NET, what it tells me is if you're an ASP.NET developer and you don't have 50 trackers, you're just not hip. <laughs> you know, working that hard. <laughs> oh man. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, that's what I got. Who's talking to us today? Hey, I grabbed a comment off of show 997, the one we did at NDC with Corey House when we were talking about the single page app that he built for yep. uh, uh, auto dealers, as I recall. It was great. And uh, this comment comes from Jose Paul, who said, Thank you for the conversation with Corey House. Hearing a fellow developer's issues while creating an application for the current web and his process of reaching pragmatic decisions was both informative and helpful. Mm -hmm. Remember, he was replacing an old VB app. That's right. And so just because they were making it web didn't mean they wanted web look. They still wanted the VB look, which I thought was hilarious. That's pretty funny. And Jose mentions uh, uh, Simikichi's uh, post about Supporting Angular in IE7. Mm -hmm. We recently created a web application with Angular, Bootstrap, and MVC5 that supports IE7 and up. Good on you, man. That's not easy to do. Yeah. We ended up serving up a totally different view for IE7 and 8 because monkey patching Bootstrap 3.star. Okay, I like monkey patching. That's a good <laughs> I like that. Was not worth it. And we didn't need those views to be responsive anyway. So it was a battle of responsive web design with Bootstrap that was the problem with IE7 and 8. So they didn't. If you're using IE7, it's not a phone yeah, right. <laughs> or, or a tablet. It just doesn't matter. Right. However, we were able to reuse the same Angular components, that's the module, controller, and service, and so on, for both views without any issues. There were some minor discrepancies, like dollar $index not being present in the NG repeat loop for IE7, but these were easy enough to overcome. Yeah. I, I guess what I want to emphasize is moving to Angular and supporting old IEs 
is not mutually exclusive. And I hope that helps. Mm -hmm. It absolutely helps. It's mm -hmm. great to hear people being successful dealing in with the real world. The folks are still running IE 7 and 8. And they got to make the pages work, but they want to use the new toys. Right. So, Jose, thanks so much for your comment. .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And that brings us to Miguel Castro. He's been a friend of our show for a long time. Whether playing on the local Radio Shack's TRS-80 or designing systems for clients around the globe, Miguel has been writing software since he was 12 years old. He insists on staying heavily involved and up-to-date on all aspects of software, app design, and development, and projects that diversify onto the type of training and consulting he provides to his customers, and believes that it's never just about understanding the technologies, but how technologies work together. In fact, it is on this concept that Miguel based two of his Pluralsight courses, Building End-to-End Multi-Client Service-Oriented Applications, which was number one for several weeks, and Developing Extensible Software. Miguel's a Microsoft MVP since 2005, and when he's not consulting or training, he speaks at conferences around the world, practices combining on-stage tech and comedy, and never misses a Formula One race. But best of all, he's a proud father of a very tech-savvy 10-year-old girl and a proud husband to the woman that homeschools her. Welcome, Miguel. Thanks for having me back. That's, a, that's like your life story in a paragraph right there. It is, isn't <laughs> it? You know, we don't need a show after a bio. No, like we're that. done. Thanks. And if anybody knows how to read it well, Carl, it's going to be you. Well, <laughs> just, you can't say that because we're going to take those of, things of out. Course, of course, yeah. your users are not your users are going to hear the edited version, so they're not going to hear what that yeah. comment was really based on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there no, were, it was perfect. There were several typos. <laughs> let's just say that. Nice. Yeah. Or two, anyway. So it's going to be that kind of show, is it? Uh, you know, we haven't had a show like this in a while, Richard. <laughs> we haven't talked to Miguel in a while. That's right. Well, I, you know what? I'm, I'm sitting here in my home office thinking of two things as I look around at this mess that I'm sitting around. Number one, how much I need somebody like Brandon to come over here and clean this place up. Yeah. <laughs> everybody needs a Brandon. And number two, how many people are we going to piss off this time? Well, nice. you know, speaking of pissed off, I mean, that's usually your thing, right? I mean, what's pissing you off these days? You know, every, every to, when one man gets pissed off, somebody else has a moment of clarity. You see how that works? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's the God honest truth, man. Uh, unless you know, unless, especially in this line of work where there's a thousand ways to solve a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, unless uh, you're the person who's getting pissed off and having the moment of clarity at the same time, which could be exactly. which could happen. Well, one usually leads to the other. Right. So nice. what? Is, so what is making you mad these days? Oh, no, believe it or not, nothing's really making me. Um, well, that's not true. There's always yeah, there's got to be me. something. Come on now. <laughs> there's all. There's always something. Um, Do you know who you are? Well, re <laughs> recently, um, you know, bad advice makes me mad. It really does. Well, okay. Um, and and that bad advice is always based on on what technology to use and and what you should stick to. And unfortunately. You know, the wind changes direction every week in our line of work. And when it changes direction, what it usually came from starts being labeled as the bad and the wrong thing to use. And that that kind of thing kind of annoys the heck out of me. Well, I'll tell you, we don't get that perspective because on this show, we usually get very level-headed, clear-minded thinking people that come on the show and always say, you know, it depends. That's like the, the staple answer for a lot of our it guests, is. you know, and... 
and basically there's no substitute for analyzing a situation and getting the best uh, solution. But unfortunately, that's not what the real world is. I mean, the real world is a lot of people with agendas trying to drive it home on each other, isn't it? It absolutely is. And and you got to be careful, especially when you're out on the speaking circuit, um, talking to attendees about certain things like this, because they listen to you. These people, you know, pay money to go out to a conference and, and you're almost kind of up on a in my opinion, an undeserved pedestal, because I don't like the whole pedestal thing, but, uh, but, but you are there nonetheless, and they listen to what you have to say. And I, I, the reason I brought this up when you mentioned about what am I, what am I pissed off at lately is because I, um, I just recently had an experience like that at, um, at a venue and location that, that we won't discuss on the air, but um, where I, I was witness to this kind of advice being given, and, and I had to, I had to inter- interject and and have a conversation that, that turn into arguments. And, uh, you know, I just don't, I don't believe that, that you have that, that you can give these blanket answers about don't use this, always use this. Right. Um, with all this technology we have at our disposal, because what happens is that some of these people will do exactly as you tell them. Right. And sometimes the job will just not get done correctly. And, uh, and that, that annoys me. And I try very, very hard not to fall into that category because then this stuff kind of comes back to you and it'll bite you in the ass, you know? That's true. Well, and you know, you could be right about a certain situation and somebody will say, ah, I'm going to try that, not knowing that uh, it's the wrong situation. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in, in the belly of that beast right now because I'm always having these discussions. I mean, to, to the point that I've been, I've been talking about this at, at conferences, you know, um, Rocky requested a specific session from me for a conference um something that rocky's been doing a lot lately for some reason <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah but he yeah, well, you know they they you know i mean conference organizers are like that sometimes what you submit is not enough and they say we don't have enough material on the following topic or the following niche and miguel can you do something or brian can you do something and and i'm not the only speaker to have uh to have been uh, subjected to that but I, I uh, under request, I did a specific session in a conference last year on the the whole battle between WCF and Web API, and I've done it before on Web Forms and MVC, and I've done it before on Angular and Knockout, you know, and all of these almost rival technologies. And I say rival because it's it's really not a rivalry. If you analyze the technologies properly, you see that they're all very much complements to each other and not rivals at all. Hmm. Um, but and I have I have these arguments with I have these arguments with with our own peers. You know what I mean? Uh, other people on the speaking circuit that just don't feel the same way I do. And I I'm to be honest with you, I'm just so tired of it. I don't even bother anymore. I just I do my thing. And to me, what's important is making my my customers happy and and making them come back to me for more business. You know? Yep. Yeah, indeed, for sure. Been doing a lot of spa stuff lately. I've been doing quite a bit of it. Um, you know, I'm an old um, I'm an I'm a, an old knockout guy from. Mm-hmm. Um, from from early last year, um, and the the story that leads up to that is, I did I spent two years working on a project with um, with one of your other guests, with Brian Noyce, mm-hmm. uh, a guy that you may know, and uh, and we worked on the WPF project together for two years, and we were we were embedded into the WPF world. We're talking head down, head. You know, I, I, as a matter of fact, I haven't done an interview with you guys in quite some time. Five um, years. Yeah, exactly. And that, that goes with, you know, I even dropped some conferences uh, simply because of a lack of time, because I was overcommitted. 
And my point is that being in the WPF spaces and, you know, slash MBBM spaces, which is really the correct way of doing right. XAML applications. If you're not doing, hey, folks, if you're doing XAML applications in any platform and you're not using the MBBM pattern, you got to call me. You need some help. Um, it's, it's really that, 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 that is one of the few times that I will blanketly tell you it, you're doing it the wrong way if you're not using MBBM. So anyway, that's, uh, that's a topic for another time, but, um, uh, <laughs> w- when you're, when you learn this way of development and it fits, it fits so well and it feels so right, um, your, your mind kind of starts thinking in a different way. And, uh, long story short, after that project was over two years later, I started doing some work for a customer with which I am currently, um, working for, for going on two years now and soon to be three. And um, they're mostly a web shop. They didn't want any desktop development. They wanted right. everything on the web. However, the requirements that they gave me and the, the vision that we discussed made for a very, very rich client-centric UI. And I know to a lot of people out there, I'm like, oh, well, that's not a problem. I've been doing that for years. Well, yours truly has not. I come from a web form world. Then I did a couple years of WPF. And then all of a sudden, I dive back into uh, the web world using ASPMBC, mm-hmm. and I was starting to get a little nervous about how I'm going to deliver this because, to me, it, it, it was still um, my mind still was thinking in the old Microsoft web developer way, which was you know you got HTML, then you got JavaScript as a scripting language, of course, and hopefully with the help of some jQuery to let you do DOM manipulation, but you know you got that, and then the HTML helper. So how am I going to get all this richness? Um, uh, richness uh, done correctly, and mm-hmm. I was introduced to the Knockout framework, um, a framework that Steve Sanderson brought over. You know, he wrote and then brought over to Microsoft, of course. And um, and it was, it, it, to be honest with you, the simplest way I can put it is that it just felt right. Uh, it's MVVM on the web, and mm-hmm. it made every sense to me on how it works and how web should be developing, how we should be developing on the web. And uh, it pretty much read that kind of thinking. I was able to apply from the WPF world right into the web world with very, very little effort. And it made every difference in the world. And I was able to deliver what my client wanted uh, using Knockout. But something happened along the way. You see, like I said, the wind changes direction almost immediately, right? Right. Yep. Um, Knockout started falling a little down um, in popularity in favor of something that Google brought out, which is, of course, Angular. Mm-hmm. And um, the two really are not completely rivals. They were at the beginning. Right. And especially when you mix Knockout with uh, Rob Eisenberg's Durandal framework, where it right. kind of completes it as a framework. Knockout by itself is nothing more than a binding library, uh, yeah. whereas Angular is, is more of a, a full-blown framework. Um, in fact, I don't consider Knockout completely obsolete. Um, Knockout still has a lot of value if all you want to do is get some binding done in your MVC pages. Sure. It's very, very helpful, very, very easy to get going, much easier than Angular, to be honest. Right, and Angular has always had that sort of uh, learning curve that has kept people shy of it. Well, because Angular requires uh, different levels of setting up. Yeah, you you have to be all in with Angular. Exactly. That's absolutely right. You need to be all in with it. Um, but I did make the move to Angular because my client wanted it. Uh, my client, you know, they, they, they heard about this Angular thing. This was, uh, the beginning of the year. And yep. I know it's already been at least a year old after the beginning of this year, but you know, for me, it's been the beginning of the year. And, uh, and I started teaching myself Angular and, um, in, in, in using it. And I, I really do like it. What I don't like is how the term spa is sold when talking about Angular and also when talking about any other framework, whether it's Knockout or or I think Ember is one also. Yeah. 
There's one called Ember, and I'm not familiar with any others besides Knockout and Angular from a syntactical perspective. Well, now Rob Eisenberg works for Google, right? So, and now Durant, he's with it's getting all it's amazing those... how that switches around, right? Yeah, so now he'll be getting all those great Durandal features. That's right, and that's absolutely and, right, and beyond. But and it, you know, it did the, seem like there was this evolution happening in libraries, and Angular seems to be kind of the endpoint at this time. This is the sort of latest, most mature, incorporating all the best ideas, admittedly with some substantial commitment to building sort of the modern web page. It, it is, and it's interesting that you say at this time. Actually, it's important that you say at this time because you know devs out there should never lose sight of the fact that there will always be something new and shiny that will come along next. That's just that's just the way this business is, and that's actually one of the things that keeps me in this business is what is that new and shiny thing that I'm going to find tomorrow? You know, right? Yeah. Uh, but but lately, the the um, the quantity of web, um, especially JavaScript libraries that we've been bombarded with has been unbelievable. It seems to be one coming out every day and some of them compete with each other and some of them do not. And right. you know, this, this is not necessarily a negative thing. It's just an easy thing to get overwhelmed with. Um, I use primarily angular for full blown framework. You know, when I need an all in type of scenario, I still use knockout for some, you know, quick sites. I just need some binding and that's it. Nothing, no navigation, no routing or anything like that. Um, now there's a, there's a UI framework called React that's been the topic of conversation on the ASP Insiders list. Um, there's a great date framework for manipulating dates. It's called Moment, and it's nice. really, really good. Um, Do you think that it's really important that somebody checks out all these frameworks as they come in? And there's hundreds of them, right? But somebody with some, you know, with the ability to discern what's, what's valuable and what's not should be well, checking valuable... all these things out. And it, you know, so that save us the trouble. Yeah, but valuable is going to be a relative term. Um, and and I, well, I know. I well, you, you, my point is that somebody really, people do need to check out these things. Somebody does. So but that, check them out for what? For maliciousness? Or no, 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 no. I don't. I, I mean, check them out and see if they're valuable. I mean, no one of us has the time to, you know, download the latest f five frameworks a day and try them and go through them and see if they're, you know, what they do and to see how they fit into the pick, you know, whether they're worth using or not. Well, you know, some people actually do that. And I have found it by a simple search on the web, by, by just searching top 10 JavaScript frameworks, you'll get several hits of people that wrote blog entries that did exactly what you're talking about. Right. Um, so it's definitely worth, for all, for, for all the listeners, it's definitely worth doing these kinds of searches uh, because that's how I found Moment, for example. I looked for top date manipulation JavaScript frameworks, huh. and I, I found a list of ten of them. And I, I looked at four or five because you know, hopefully, if the blog posting is written correctly, you get a nice description of each one. And the one that that I liked the best was was Moment. It was by far not the only one out there, but it's the one that I happen to like. And um, and there's a little something for everybody out there. You know, somebody may like one syntax, and I may like another. Right, uh, but what you're describing, Carl, is a full time job in itself. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, hey, I, I'm not saying we should all all the listeners should check out every one of these things, but you know, just look into them. You know, look into the stuff that every once in a while, poke like you did. Every once in a while, poke your head up and say, "All right, what's new? Is there anything I should go check out, or at least check out what other people say about it?" Because sometimes, you know, this a great framework could be written, and you know, people are so overwhelmed that nobody will really get to use it you know what this has all the makings of another dotnet rock segment right noah javascript framework yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I mean, it's it becoming really, its it really, own. Really, really does. It's it's its own thing, right? I almost so, wonder if we've already peaked, though. You know that that it, it seems like it's starting to calm down now compared to, to well, only because, a year or two ago. Uh, and Miguel, you could tell me what you want. What, tell Richard what you think. But my, I thought, I think that it's peaked in terms of you know frameworks that do the binding and the 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 JavaScript stuff back to the back end and deal with all the service calls and everything like that kind of stuff has peaked. So there'll always be something else. Uh, you're, you're right. I, there, there'll always be something else. And regarding, regarding what, what Richard just said, I, I agree. I agree with, with your interpretation of it, Carl, where that part of it seems to have peaked because you really do have to ask yourself, what more do we need in the binding and routing spaces? It does exactly what we need. It doesn't need to be more complicated or more functional um, it, 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 you know, we can't possibly need anything else. So now I, you know, based on this conversation that's going on on one of the insider threads, I started looking at this react framework and that one lets you build basically visual components that, that, uh, you know, out of HTML that kind of, um, they, 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 they there's, I, I, it's hard to describe because I'm, I'm not totally educated in react yet, but react seems to be able to take HTML components, turn them into JavaScript that spits out that HTML and make them available to sites for reusability. So hmm. that that may be another space where we start to see some some libraries, you know, come at us. Um, I I definitely do think that we need something in the web world for uh, for reusability. Uh, let me tell you something that um, something that that we had and was taken away from us. Um, only the web forms guys will remember this, and only the web forms guys that used this feature which was heavily in the web control spaces, which you happen to, you know that I was very heavy in the custom web control spaces. Uh, Webforms had something called web resources and allowing you to actually take JavaScript uh, images, CSS, all of those ancillary files that we use in a website that are usually text-based um, and embed them in the DLL of hmm. the site itself. And a web control library, which compiles as a DLL, of course, can contain all of these resources, including things like JavaScript and CSS. So then the hosting site that uses that control can extract that stuff. And we don't have that capability in MVC because those libraries were sealed. So we, it'd be really nice to be able to, um, to, to package up stuff without having to use, you know, uh, co copy events in the compiler or... You know what I'm saying? Right now, we have to actually move the JavaScript and CSS to whatever hosting site um, a particular web sub-module uh, is coming from. Miguel, have you seen CSHTML5.com? I have not. This is CSHTML5.com? C-sharp XAML that gets translated into HTML CSS. All right, then I'm going to have to look at this. See, yeah. I've had these needs, and I currently have a client that has that has these particular needs, and... Uh, I came up with my own solution for it, but it's still, you know, it's still, it's still almost a hack. You know, I, I've always said that everything in the web world is a hack to correct the shortcoming of the previous technology. Right, yeah, right. It, it really, really is. I mean, look at the move from ASP to ASP.NET, and then from ASP.NET to MVC, and then jQuery comes in, and then of course, not, I'm sorry, JavaScript comes in, but then jQuery comes in to make JavaScript easier, and it's just one thing after another to, to, to correct what the previous experience uh, made very difficult. Yeah. I'll look at this uh, site offline, Carl. It looks interesting. It's interesting. It's it's rudimentary now, but it's a good start. And we we did a I did it as a better know framework a couple shows back. Okay. All right. I I am far from caught up with 
Dotnet rocks because I I have fallen into the same trap I promised myself at the beginning of this year that I would not fall into. I have completely overcommitted myself. <laughs> but they have a stack panel and a canvas and a grid and a wrap panel. Cool. I'll look and they at have it. Have controls, button, text box, image, text block, rectangle, border, and that's about it. I think. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. I'll look at it. Uh, hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep, time to call up the security deli in Lincoln Park, New Jersey, and get the large Cuban to go. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Miguel. That's worth a chuckle. Security deli? The security deli. Okay. You know, Cuban sandwich. I'd yeah. like the large Cuban to go. Get it? Oh, for Who doesn't oh, like a large Cuban? <laughs> no, oh, he geez. gets it. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Why don't you say something about my mother? Oh, come on. <laughs> what? And piss you off? You Who can, would do that? You can take it, big guy. <laughs> and it's actually time to give away a Sync Fusion Essential Studio to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, is your big data strategy causing you headaches? Ditch the complicated configuration and jargon and pump up your development with the only easy-to-use big data solution for Windows. The SyncFusion Big Data Platform installs quickly and is packed with samples to help you get up and running in 15 minutes or less. Check it out now at SyncFusion.com and start working with big data in under 15 minutes. And even if you aren't working with big data, you can take advantage of over 500 SyncFusion controls to help you build stunning applications. Or you can broaden your skill set with a free ebook SyncFusion offers on over 40 topics. Download free trials and free ebooks at SyncFusion.com. Awesome. So who's our winner, dude? Today's winner is Casey Paulson. Congratulations, Casey. Golf oh, clap for you. Clap for Casey Paulson. And uh, wow, Casey just won the SyncFusion Essential Studio. Big pile of awesome from SyncFusion. If you don't know what we're doing here, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And every show we give away stuff from our sponsors. Every December we give away $5,000 worth of stuff, technology specifically, to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to register to win. And uh, also we like to ask our guest, Miguel, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? It would have to be technology? Eh, I don't know. It doesn't have to be, I suppose. <laughs> Um, oh man, what would I buy? $5,000 shopping spree. I got so much technology in this office. Um, anytime I want something, I just get it. Um, I think I'd get a 3D printer. Yeah, okay. That's the one thing I don't have in this office, and I've been waiting for them to become a little more, a little more cost effective. And, and they have come down significantly, but the, mm. the, the speed has to catch up also. It's incredibly slow. It seems like there's sort of a line between the inexpensive hobbyist unit and the sort of pro unit. The, the hobbyist units are down in the $1,000 range right now, but you you got to do a lot of tinkering and maintaining to keep them working. And the pro units are still ten grand. Yeah, I know. I know. So there should be something in between, you know, and that's that would be the $5,000 price point that you guys would pay for. It's the materials, really. I mean, the materials that you use for the $1,000, uh, what what's the popular one, Richard, that it, we talk about a lot? There's ABS and, and PLA, two different kinds of plastic. Yeah. Well, anyway, they they are brittle. You know, you can crush them, of course. So it's it's not like it's re really ultra durable. 
but really good for prototyping though you know well i i i think i think once once the technology becomes um well i mean it's already it's already at a price point that that companies can afford at least medium sized companies uh or higher but um i i do think that that kind of technology has the potential of of bringing bringing this country back into a manufacturing footprint um which it hasn't been on for a very very long time well you know here's the thing about manufacturing the country since you brought it up there's a lot of manufacturing in this country. It's just being done with less people. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I guess we have to get sector specific. I just still see too much stuff coming from overseas and, and that's true. crappy and, well, and, and, crap, and crappy quality at that. Yeah, and that's the thing that we don't manufacture is the the, the cheaper crappy stuff. But uh, you know, I think that there and I basically I'm not the first one to think this. There are books about this. That once you have these these printers available and they get more and more sophisticated, they're they're edging towards the Star Trek replicator. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's where absolutely. they're going because multiple materials being able to take a design and then spit out something by combining those materials together. And once you get plastic, metal, glass, and uh, you know other other materials in there, that uh, you you can really do a lot. Printed circuit boards, yeah. yeah. I'm wondering if it's going to go the same way that desktop publishing has gone. You can make your prototypes on your home ink jet printer, but when you really want to make something, when you want to make a thousand copies of your book, when you really want to manufacture something, you'll take the data file you've perfected working against your home machine and send it off to the, you know, copyright guys or the, 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 the printing shop that make the finished product for you. Yep. True. And That's also, true. And actually, a lot of places do that now. I've seen that on, um, I've seen that on car custom customized car shows. You know, like West Coast Customs and those car shows they they put on Velocity on the Velocity Channel, where they'll actually do something on a laser printer to fit their need. And once they know it's the right shape and size and everything, they'll send that out to a real fabricator to make it out of steel. Right. The other thing that uh, that happens here in the future is that the designers become the software developers of the day. You know, think about it. You know, you you buy software, you put it in, and magic happens. But you know, if you don't have a design to feed into your three D printer, you've got blocks of materials. Right. You know. Right. It's the design that makes the difference. Well, and it's just the way that we've democratized making books now, where anybody can get a book published. It could be everything. Right. You know, not anybody can just go make a pen. A pen's complicated. There's a lot of stuff to a pen, and and the there's a you know sort of a stranglehold in industry over those kinds of objects. What if that all went away? What does that look like culturally when anybody can pretty much make anything they want to make? Exciting times. Yep. Yeah, sure is. Yep. Yep. So Miguel, what's yes, the stack of tools you're using here? You've talked about Angular and it, and I presume ASP.mvc5 I use ASP.NET MVC5, and that's that's actually the main the main point of of this discussion is the fact that I I don't like the fact, and I think that most practical developers out there will agree with me um, that Spa is being sold literally as um, as a single page application. And I think the reason for a lot of this is that these JavaScript frameworks are not Microsoft centric. In fact, they were not designed to be Microsoft centric, of course, and None of them really have any Microsoft dependency. Even Knockout, uh, written by a guy that now works for Microsoft, if you go onto the knockout.com site, knockoutjs.com, 
there's zero dependency on Microsoft there. It's all HTML right. and JavaScript. And that's well, that's perfectly fine. And when you watch one of the JavaScript, the, the Angular courses on, on Pluralsight, um, you'll see that it's done using WebStorm and no Microsoft whatsoever. But to be honest with you, I, I, I've always been a fan of the right tool for the right job. And just because we're doing this whole single page concept with with a lot of client side uh, JavaScript delivery uh, doesn't doesn't make ASP.NET MVC obsolete. ASP.NET MVC is is a terrific platform for the delivery of HTML. Right. Now that being said, in the type of apps that I'm writing now, I uh, I'm not using all the features of conventional uh, MVC that we were using uh, three years ago, four years ago when it came out. You know the HTML helpers and all that stuff. Well, I'm not building forms like this anymore. Uh, but what I've done is um, I, I'm writing sites that have what I what I used to call pockets of SPA, and I'll describe that in detail. But before I describe it, let me change the terminology from pockets to SPA uh, to SPA silos. And I give uh, kudos to my friend Brian Noyes, who mm -hmm. actually kind of coined that term, and I've been using the bejesus out of it because uh, I really like the the way that that describes it. But it's definitely Brian's term. Uh, these are SPA silos instead of a giant SPA where you start out with a home page. And there you got all your Angular bootstrapping and all your routing defined. And now from there on, that one view, that one homepage that you just delivered um, has all these template replacement things that occur in different sections of that view. Um, that's a true single page application. And, you know, if you're going to do a quick, small website, that's not entirely bad. The problem is that on a large web application, uh, like the ones that I write for my customers, that can get to be a management headache. So by breaking out the application um, into these spa silos, what you're using is the best of both worlds. You're using MVC's layout engine, you know, the whole layout master page thing. We used to call it master pages in the web form world, but it's layout today and right. partial pages. Yeah. We're leveraging layout and partial pages and all that stuff. Um, and we're separating, the way I do it is that I separate my site out into its different sections. So for example, I'm, I'm actually, I just finished last night at one in the morning, I finished a session that I'm going to be doing for the first time in the, uh, New York city use.net user group this Thursday, Andrew Bruss's group. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be my test bed, my guinea pigs, because I'm doing this in uh, NDC London in December. I think you guys will be there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So I'll be doing it there. Um, and it's a, it's a talk called Angular for MVC Developers. And it shows you how to set up and configure your site in, in this way, where I, I demo, for example, something really simple. I try to keep my demo simple and give you a small site that just has a section for customers, a section for products, and a section for orders. Yeah. Now, if you follow the SPA concept literally, you're talking about a lot of view flipping here, a lot of JavaScript, a lot of uh, just a lot of Angular to manage here. And your routing, of course, can you know your routing tables can grow and grow and grow and become harder to manage. What I've done is that I've used MVC to to show you the home page and the navigation for getting into these three different subsections: the products, the customers, and the orders. And each one of these is its own spa silo. So entry into the customer link gets you into a customer view that would normally be just a, it really is just an MBC partial view that sits inside the layout view. But that MBC view is what that index page is what actually bootstraps the customer Angular module, sets up the routing for, for navigating within that section. And everything in the customer world 
going through between a customer list and editing a customer and, and deleting and all that stuff that has to do with tracking customers, all of that is done in SPA style, meaning it's all done in JavaScript using Angular. There's no trips to the server. Angular, of course, takes care of all the routing, which means you have full back button support, which is exactly what you want. Yep. And if you happen to hit the order link, which is sitting at the top, because remember, you're still surrounded by your main layout page, which was delivered by MVC. If you happen to hit the order link, you're now going to the server and re-rendering from the server an entirely different top-level view for orders, which in turn bootstraps the Angular module for orders, the order module, any services that that module needs, any controllers that that module needs, and of course, there's going to be templates associated with each Angular controller. And you, and you get the routing only for that subsection. So things become a lot more manageable. And um, I just found it to be a really nice, happy medium between doing literally an SPA application uh, or not using Angular at all and going the full-blown MVC route, which was all beautiful back when MVC first came out. But now, because it's so easy to use one of these frameworks, it becomes, you know, the traditional MVC seems to be a little more of a pain in the butt. And it doesn't deliver the experience that customers want today. And You started and, off this conversation saying, you know, you want to apply MVVM patterns everywhere. So this is MVVM on MVC? Uh, this is MVVM on MVC. That's exactly right. Because you're, wow. you're, you're MVCing up to a point and then MVVM takes over. Interesting. So MB MVC is what delivers your top-level view of a particular site section. And once you're in there, you're in the Angular world where you're, where, where you're primarily MVVM. And the concept of MVVM is, is fantastic. There's, there's still people out there that have never done stuff like this. Um, you know, there's a lot of, on the desktop side, there's a lot of WinForms developers that, um, that have never used WPF. And of course, you really can't do MVVM with WPF. And then on the website, there's not only web form developers, but there's MVC developers that have not really embraced these frameworks. And if Did you haven't at least looked at this, folks, you're doing a disservice to yourself. And, and if you're a consultant to your customers, because it's not only such a fast and easy way of delivering a rich application, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset that simply feels right. Um, you know, in, in MVVM, whether you're in XAML in a view model in C Sharp or in Angular or Knockout in a view model in JavaScript, your, your view model represents, uh, it's a logical representation of the UI. Right. So where, whereas your UI, you're thinking of text boxes, list boxes, and buttons and links, um, the logical representation of that is properties, collections, and actions. And there's typically you know, behavior, one... Behavior methods. There's typically one view model per view. One view model per view, exactly yeah. right. And, and you, it, takes, it takes just a little bit of a mind shift to think in those logical terms and forget about what the UI is going to be like. Think about collecting properties, building a collection, manipulating a collection, deleting from the collection, adding to the collection. Yeah, and the big, that kind deal, of stuff. The big deal about MVVM, well, about the view model anyway, is testability. Oh, you, when, you, you have absolutely. Co when you have private button handlers you know, behind a, uh, behind a form, code behind, how, how are you going to test that? They're private. Well, you, you, can't, you can't test it. And in the case of web forms, you can't even instantiate a code behind class because right. it, it needs to sit side by side with a virtual it class. It needs a page. It exactly. needs a view. Right. It needs right. A it's just a um, way to separate out what a page does from what it looks like. It, it absolutely is. And, and if you can concentrate on that view model, whatever platform you're in, um, and get it tested and get it working just right. Later, when you write the UI, the UI just needs to be drawn, basically, because you're, you're drawing the UI to bind to the view model. 
and let it magically refresh itself based on the view model internal manipulation. Yep. And and it's it's amazing how it comes to life. It really is, and it just makes things so much easier. Um, I did um, I did a plural side course. Um, you mentioned it at the beginning of the show, building end to end multi client service oriented applications, and it it was released in on, in September first of last year, and it, it in in, in uh, five days it was in the number one spot. And it, uh, it's done tremendously well. And I, that course actually takes you through a full application building from beginning to end. I mean, from the database all the way to the clients. And there was a web client and there was a WPF client. And for the web client, I used um, ASP.NET, MBC, and Knockout. And uh, this year, I decided that I, I, I wanted to, to ride a little of this angular wave, um, not, not just for financial reasons, but because it is popular and I've always, you guys have known me for quite some time. I, tr- I truly enjoy speaking. I enjoy imparting knowledge and talking to developers and hanging out with them. And, and any, any chance of just sharing really cool code with somebody is an opportunity that I jump at. So what I did is that I re-released the entire course, but I rewrote the three web modules to instead of being knockout-based or angular-based. So now there's a version of the course called the Angular Edition, and uh, it jumped to the number two spot in seven days. So it did pretty good. Um, and it's still up there in the top 10. And, uh, and, and I do that. I, I, I demonstrate all these things that we've been discussing here where it's a, a kind of silos of spa or pockets of spa. Um, I do that in the course. You know, I have a, a registration section, but then I have a, a, a car rental section and I have another section. And, and there's an Angular module for each one of these. And anybody that's an Angular developer knows what an Angular module is. And you know that it's to the module that you then uh, launch controllers from, or should I say um, initialize controllers from, and initialize your routing table. And when you're dealing with these subsections of a site, things just become so much cleaner and so manageable. Um, it just makes every difference in the world. Now, that being said, it, it takes a little bit of effort to get MVC and, knockout, and uh, Angular to play nice, uh, especially in the routing world, because MVC has got a routing engine. And, not, and Angular's got a routing engine. So that's why I've put so much time into this topic, and that's why I'm doing a session on it uh, in New York this week and uh, also in London. And uh, you know what, Rich? I'm going to submit this to you for the next intersections. How's that? Oh, for sure, dude. Uh, I yeah, think I it know, that, make I a great... I think the audience would eat it up. Well, I, and I, not only that, it's not, it's not yet another Angular session. You know what I mean? It takes... Well, a, and, and I'm it, with you. I, th- I feel like Angular's been cast in the spa role almost unwillingly like there's clearly other ways to use it sure sure well they all they all are you can say the same thing about knockout right they all are you know these were once it's it, it, the whole spa thing i think is a clear example of uh of of overdoing something you know any anytime something like this hits the scene um somebody is going to start overusing it and taking it to to the maximum level and sometimes the maximum level is not the most ideal level well, I, I don't know how we got to a place where we decided that only having one web page was a good idea. I don't know either. Oh, it is I a good idea uh, for, for a mean, lot of there's, reasons. There's a lot of people that preach it, you know. But I, I do buy the idea that I don't want every time you click on a button to be a round trip to the server either. Of course. But that that's why I'm so happy with the way I'm doing it with this kind of hybrid approach because it's just that. It's the happy medium. While you're in a section, you stay on the client. The only time you go to the server is for web API calls, right? Um, if you go to another section, it's a quick trip to the server to render this top level view, sure. but, you, but you're not doing it over and over and over again. 
And and you know what? Even the even the server views can be done the right way. Unfortunately, we've kind of moved. You know, we're we're moving farther away from web forms, and I I'm not a hundred percent convinced that that is that 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 is well deserved. That that you know, web forms has received such a bad reputation uh, because it left itself open for a lot of misuse, and so many people did it the wrong way and misused it and wrote very inefficient sites. All of a sudden, the technology got the blame. Well, you can. I mean, it's very. It's just like VB, right? It's very easy to so write it bad. is per- another perfect example. Yeah. Exactly right. It's very easy to write bad code. It, very easy to write untestable code in Windows right. forms. In fact, very hard to do it to make testable code in, in web forms. I said Windows forms before, web forms. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's very true. Now, I, I still have customers that are on the web forms platform. And you know, you know what the number one reason that they're on it is? Is because they got tens of thousands of dollars invested. Yep into third-party web control suites. Sure. And the truth of the matter is that some of these suites today, I mean, you go to companies like DevExpress or Telerik and and you look at some of their web control suites, they're they're absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, web today's web control suites for ASP.NET web forms is not just about rendering HTML. They render JavaScript, they render CSS. Sure. They keep, they keep you in the client. Yeah, you know, just and you you've done. I've seen you do demos on .NET Rocks uh, intermissions where you put a, uh, a little mock Outlook application together. You remember that? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and you've done that with third party suites uh, with just a matter of drag and drop, and yeah. everything is remaining on the client except for data, which uses AJAX calls to go to the server. Um, so a lot of richness can be achieved even in the web forms world today. Um, I don't think Webforms deserves the uh, the bad well, rap. What's good stuff. about what you're describing here, the part of Webforms that's great, is that I can drag a control onto my page, place it where I want, and then magic happens. And I don't have to I don't have to get into the gnarly gooey stuff, you know. And no, and, you, and once, you leave that to the web control developers yeah, like me. And once you get a VBNet or a C Sharp developer who hasn't who doesn't understand JavaScript and doesn't want to. You know that once they have to, then you've you've uh, you've thrown a monkey wrench into their world. Uh, some would say, "Well, pick up the monkey wrench and start tinkering." But uh, but you've That's thrown it. it in there. That's it. That's it. Well, I actually had work to get done. You know, I didn't want it to tinker with toys. Right. <laughs> yep. I got stuff to make. Right. But then again, so many of them have made the jump and uh, feel better for it. These te- these technologies, you know, in this case, we're talking about you know Angular and MVC. Um, in in the services side, I'm always talking about jo- uh, Web API and WCF, um, and then of course you got MVC and Web Forms. These technologies should not be colliding; they should be coexisting. They should be mixing. Yeah. Um, because a lot of times, a good application is going to get the benefit of of both those things. Um, there hasn't been a service-oriented system that I've designed in the past few years mm-hmm. that has not had a combination of WCF and Web API. Uh, I know there's a lot of listeners out there that have been told that Web API is the answer to everything, and it's and 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 on top of that, WCF is the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. And that's just uh, <laughs> you know, you know, wh- whoever I, I, honestly, and I've I've had people say that to me, and I'm ta- I'm not talking about just a random attendee, Richard. I'm talking about people you and I know should um, that should know better. It, I, in my opinion, they should know better, and all I want to do is punch them in the teeth. Well, that's because you're that kind of guy. I, I am. I am. I get bitter <laughs> like that, you know. But it's it, it, at that point, it's it's it really it really irks me because it it really does need to be the right tool for the right job. On one side, you got 
a framework, a WCF, that, that has a tremendous rich model and an amazing set of characteristics and, uh, and sets of functionality and that could do so much and, and is so damn fast. And then on the other hand, you got Web API, which is so damn interoperable. Yes, and, and and handles a lot of uh, uh, and and is performant as hell too. Yeah, like you almost can't go wrong with Web API as long as you fit into that narrow niche. You Absolutely. know, WCF really is this Swiss Army knife. When you want to solve a complicated interrelated problem, that's where you need to go. As it, long as you narrow the scope of things, Web API is fine. It it and it it is, but but you know the problem is WCF's interoperability has been wrongly sold. I mean, it's there. But it's not easy and it's not perfect either because you still it's still soap and you still need tooling. Oh yeah. Without tooling, soap is just impossible to work with. Um that's where Web API shines. So mixing these two together and 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 having an enterprise system, and you know what I design are enterprise systems where the majority of the functionality sits behind the firewall to drive the enterprise. Parts of that enterprise are on the uh, are on a desktop level and parts are on a public website or a mobile level. So having a set of services sitting there ready to go that can drive anything um, is what I use WCF for. And then the subset of those that needs to be extended beyond the firewall is what I extend with using Web API. So all my, all my system designs have incorporated both technologies. Mm-hmm. And they both work very nice together. And, and, uh, and you can even throw dependency injection into all that uh, that they can both benefit from. And um, and I, I do that in my course, actually, where I use dependency ejection across the entire stack. So, you know, it should really be about the right tool for the right job and not finding this this Swiss Army knife or this magic bullet that's going to solve all your problems. Because well, isn't it, this all the one right way disease? Like if the, if the new way couldn't, if the old way couldn't do something, the new way is the one right way. Not only is the new way, new the right, the one right way, but the old way is garbage and you're an idiot for using it. <laughs> right. And, you know, we, we, and all we, that software you built before, it's crap. Replace it's everything. All crap. Well, well, think about it. We, we, we have been seeing this not only in, in technology, but in, um, in, in, in syntax and design styles, uh, as simple as notations. You guys remember Hungarian notation, don't you? Sure. A Hungarian notation had its its strength. The problem was, was that it was misinterpreted because people started using it for data types. Before you know it, Hungarian notation mnemonics were INT, STR, mm-hmm. DBL. And yeah. that's not what Hungarian notation was originally developed for. Joe Spolsky did an article on this very thing. Hungarian notation was for you to have mnemonics in front of your variables uh, that denote the kind of variable that was, for example, CNT for a counter or IDX for an index, you know, that kind of thing, not the right. actual data type. But once everybody started using it for the data types, it got overused. And once it gets overused, it gets misused. And once it gets misused, it gets replaced. And then all of a sudden, that's now the redheaded stepchild. Yeah, right. You know, and I'll, only I'll, an idiot would do that. Exactly. <laughs> and believe me, those words have been used, unfortunately. <laughs> right. So you know this 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 should be a, a, a an eye opener for hopefully a lot of a lot of listeners that have that have heard the advice of don't ever ever do this or always use this technology or always do it this way. There are no absolutes. Yeah, yeah, that's an automatic red flag for me now. It absolutely always is. never like that's just. Are you kidding? Yep. yep. <laughs> I said it before that line from Star Wars: "Only a Sith speaks in absolutes." Yeah. Right. Only a Sith. Well, we know a few Siths, don't we, Carl? We know a few Siths. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely do. 
So anyway, that's that's the world that I'm living in right now is um, is the the spa world, um, but never leaving the NBC world. You know, like I said, right. I'm 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 using NBC to deliver my my spa silos, which in th- with this time they use Angular. Um, last year I was using Knockout for another project, um, but I I do like Angular. I mean, I'm, I don't have anything against it. I I get a little annoyed that Angular has uh, has dominated and almost monopolized. Uh, people's time because it's almost like they have to learn it. Otherwise, I'm not one of the cool kids. One right way. Say what? It's the one right way thing again. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But it is a good framework, no doubt about that. But don't don't lose sight of the people. Don't lose sight of the fact that it's it's not going to be here forever, and it may be here forever. But something else is going to come along that's going to blow it out of the water, like it right. always does. Indeed, Miguel. It's been great talking to you. You're very smart, and I appreciate you sharing it with us. I, it's been uh, it's been great being on the show uh, after such a long time, you know, especially too since, long. Well, the last time that we did it, we did a top ten list, and uh, and you know, I I got uh, probably uh, about ten to twelve emails from people that thought I was an idiot and that I didn't know what I was talking about awesome. and that I was rude and obnoxious. But that's okay; I get the rude and obnoxious all the time. <laughs> Um, but I got a hundred emails that were along the lines of, you finally said what I've been thinking for the past few years. Yeah. (laughs) Those always, those always make it worth it. You know, at the end of the day, we were having fun on that show. I certainly didn't tend to piss anybody off, but that's always going to happen. And it was, it was a fun show nonetheless. Well, now they know what to expect, right? Hey, usually people that know me go because they know exactly what to expect. (laughs) Hey, let me tell you something. I, I got, um, I got, uh, um, the, the, the organizers of a conference I spoke at recently, um, made it a point to tell me that, you know, my evals came in for the last conference and that it was the first time in five years that not a single person complained about my profanity. Wow. Slacking off. Exactly right. That was my response. I'm like, oh, I got to work on it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly right. I must be getting old. All right, Miguel. We'll talk to you later. Thanks. Hey, thanks for having me. Take care, guys. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rock. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a-